0: Oh, would you look at that! There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. This is the Blackcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. And now here's Christian Blatt.
1: Welcome to the Blackcast. This is a little bit of an interesting combination episode, an amalgamation of a couple of different interviews that I did. That oddly enough were done exclusively for the Blackcast, but uh, the video content is being posted separately because. Look, that's what we're doing in the age of quarantine, the age of Corona, as it were. So there's two seemingly very different guests. But uh, really, when you listen to the two conversations, you're going to find that they're actually not quite as dissimilar as it seems. Uh, First up, I'll be joined by author Kimberla lawson Roby, who has a new book called The Woman God Created You to Be, Finding Success Through Faith, Spiritually personally and professionally, a title that you'll find me having a little trouble with (laughs) throughout the course of the interview, but uh, she's a delightful conversation. I think it's a very insightful look at the way the world is right now. Look, it doesn't necessarily sound like subject matter that you're going to find on any episode of The Black Cast, but I think the audience for this show appreciate that conversation. And I also feel like you'll enjoy the second conversation, which is with, believe it or not, the bassist for the band Megadeth, David Ellison. David Ellison is a great conversationalist. I've heard him interviewed multiple times, usually by uh, Eddie Trunk, who was one of the hosts of that metal show. And he also has a, a show on uh, Sirius XM on the Volume Channel where they talk about music. He has a show called Trunk Nation. And I uh, was talking to him about an event that he held. I think by the time most of you hear this, it'll already have happened. But uh, there's also a way to donate to that cause if uh, anybody is so inclined. So you'll see there's some common threads, believe it or not, in these two interviews. So uh, I think uh, it's uh, well worth a listen. That's uh, all about, as our friend Flobo Boy said a few weeks ago, new content every week. We're just trying to uh, share it with all of you in as many different ways as possible. Some of you I know like the videos on YouTube, others just like listening to the Blackcast. You're already subscribed to it. I appreciate that. I appreciate any way in which you consume it. The fact that anybody wants to listen slash watch is uh, something that, uh, first of all, baffles me, but second of all, it's uh, it's very endearing, so I appreciate it. Anyway, without further ado, let's move on to our first conversation. For those watching on YouTube, uh, you are seeing me joined by author Kimberly Lawson Roby. Her latest book is The Woman God Created You To Be, Finding Success Through Faith, Spirituality, personality, personally personality, and professionally, personally and professionally. I've already gotten it wrong. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Kimberly. <laughs> Sorry. Thank I, you so much for having I, me. Between looking back and forth at the camera and reading it, I'm like, spiritually, sp- uh, personally, personally. Yes. Yes. So personally, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I definitely want to talk to you about the book. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you talking to me. You know, right before uh, we hit record, we talked about just sort of how strange it is to uh, do things this way. And yet in the course of three weeks, this is kind of how we do everything, you know? Yes. Yeah, talking to our family this way. Uh, my kids are both small, but uh, you see everyone else, you know, who, with older kids, they're having like classrooms that way, and yes. uh, it's uh, look, it's just as as terrible and as scary as this time is. Just imagine the technology 10 or 20 years ago, we would feel so much more isolated. So and that's the thing, that's
2: what, you know, my husband and my friends and I have been talking about what would we have done yeah. before this day and age of technology and social yeah. media and, you know, of course, what we're on now, you know, Zoom, yeah. and YouTube, and, um, you know, so, you know, thankfully, we do have at least this. This is a very different, it's yeah. a new normal, and, you know, but it's something that I think we're, you know, gradually getting used to because we have to do it.
1: So. Right. You know, when we see sort of, uh, you know, not particularly my favorite kind of entertainment, but sort of the, you know, apocalyptic end of the world stuff, when yeah. people are afraid to go outside, it, usually their cell phones and 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 everything doesn't work just as well. So we're certainly better off than, you know, we're prepared for, you know, in, in zombie movies and things like that.
2: That's for sure. That's, yeah. that's for sure.
1: Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about the book. I did want to talk a little bit about that current situation and I'm just sort of wondering, you know, obviously it, it's a, it's a spiritual book it's a a faith-based topic so i'm just sort of wondering what you would say just personally if you know maybe one of your friends asked you this question that they're finding this situation so challenging and they're finding it to maybe putting some pressure on their relationship with god sort of what, what would you say to someone who would ask that
2: So, you know, that's the thing, you know, obviously, uh, you know, my faith is what continues to sustain me through all of this. And, um, you know, but still being human, I've still had my moments over this last three or four weeks where I felt anxiety and I felt worry. And you start thinking about, oh, my gosh, I never thought I would see anything like this in my lifetime. And, you know, what's going to happen to myself or my husband or, you know, our family members or our friends. And then you start projecting to what about even after this is over, you know, when the dust settles, so to speak. And um, so for me, it is still prayer. I still, uh, no matter what, I have to continue praying every day. I have to still depend on my faith and keep it strong. And what I related to most, and this is what I've had to go back to, little did I ever know that the most devastating time in my life, Um, you know, where I didn't think I could get through it, didn't know how I would get through it, and that was when my mom became terminally ill and um, what it felt like to lose her and how there were moments where, I'll be honest, I literally just wanted to die. Um, That was nearly 19 years ago. It will be this coming November. And now on this side of it, what I can say to people and what I've been sharing is that, you know, this too will pass. That part really is true and that we have to stay strong. and, And for me what i'm telling people is what i had to learn was to have faith and continue to pray every day even when things are good because that really helps you when times become very troubling
1: right and and obviously these times uh, are are very troubling and i uh, you know you can understand somebody having those kind of questions but uh, obviously having you know the interaction with with God, sure, but also with their their church and their congregation, the fact that so many have moved to online, you know, you see yeah. a lot of people posting, you know, and in some ways, people who've moved away are now reconnecting with churches that they went to when they were younger. So there's sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, it's this added layer of comfort. Now, unfortunately, the the headlines that you do see, you know, look, we're talking today uh, Sunday was Palm Sunday, next Sunday's Easter. So today we're talking, it's Maundy Thursday, tomorrow's yes. Good Friday. Yes. So this is obviously a time that is, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big red circle on your calendar. You have those people that, you know, my mom used to always refer to them because we, I grew up, we would go to a Lutheran church and my mom would always complain about what she called the, the C and E the people that only showed up on Christmas and Easter, you know? Yes. And, uh, you know, so obviously there are a lot of people who want to be able to go. And I think, so many people are being so responsible, but you do hear those stories of just across the country, you hear of of pastors and, and, and you know, other other uh, you know, preachers and things that are having their congregation, you know, they're having the church open, and some of them are yeah. trying to yeah, keep them six feet apart, but yeah. I just find that to be so, if, to me, I find it to be irresponsible because obviously there's so Absolutely. many other ways to do that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I. Yeah. And then sort of, it's, it's kind of a similar question to the first one. So if somebody is part of a church that's doing that, I I feel like there's so many that are online, you know, why don't you just, you know, worry about your, your friends and, you know, there's, you know, any church that I've ever been to, there's so many, you know, uh, older people who are so happy to be there and they're yeah. the most at risk so if there's anybody that should be staying home it's them so i don't know i just feel like it's important to sort of reiterate that idea yes that, you know yes there's i three agree ways to have your congregate congregate con- con- conversation with god with your congregation you don't need to go anywhere to to be there even on easter
2: and, and that is absolutely right. And you know, with our church, our pastor, um, he started um, three weeks ago. Say, this coming Sunday, I believe, will be um, our fourth service. And so, you know, he is utilizing Zoom even to meet with us on other days of the week for Bible study. Um, just to kind of have a get together and update on Saturdays. Um, he's doing uh, Facebook Live, YouTube, and um, Instagram um, mm-hmm. TV uh, for Sunday service. And so, I think what we have to remember is that. The building is not as important as it is our faith in God. And so we are the church. We're supposed to be the church. Um, we can pray and worship God anywhere, even in our own homes. And we can do that collectively because of the technology yeah. that we have today. But I think we have a responsibility to keep each other safe and to keep each other as healthy as we possibly can and i you know know that some people would argue with me especially from the christian community but i see it as a level of irresponsibility when you say that as well as defiance even yeah. and so you know just to say that i'm going to keep my church open and I'm still going to hold service because God is going to take care of me or God is going to heal me. Well, God absolutely will do every bit of that. But he has also given us common sense. And, and I think this is a time that we need to use it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is sort of what you're talking about. Like, you know, no one's going to tell me that I can't uh, open up on on Easter. So, yes. uh, well, I appreciate you talking about all that stuff. Obviously, we're here to talk about the book and I'm going to make sure I get it right this time. The Woman God Created You to Be, Finding Success Through Faith, Spiritually, Professionally, uh, Personally and Professionally. See, I still got it wrong. <laughs> but The Woman God Created You to Be, that's the, that's the big title. Uh, yeah. I, and one of these times I'll get the rest of it So talk about the concept of the book and uh, the little bit that, that I'm understanding from it is that you came to this realization at some point that you weren't being the real woman that God created you to be.
2: Mm-hmm. And that is correct. And so, you know, my career uh, spans back um, more than two decades. So I have written 27 novels. So the idea of even writing a nonfiction book was not something I ever wanted to do, never aspired to do it. And to be honest, was a little bit fearful of doing it because fiction is what I knew. And that's what I've done uh, year after year. And even created a series that of course centered around the church and around a pastor, but a very wayward pastor, one that was very flawed. Um, and so over these last three years though, it just was in my heart and I knew that God had placed it in my heart to write about, um, real life issues, but from a in a non-fictional uh, format. And so this idea of the book, you know, it made me really reflect um, in my spiritual life, my personal life and in my professional life, some things that I did do well, but many things that I didn't do so well and things that I had to uh, learn to do better and in areas of my life where I needed to grow. And so that's the reason I wrote the book in three sections. Um, those first six chapters, are about the spiritual you. Um, The next set of chapters is about the personal you and then the professional you, because I believe that in order to be okay personally and professionally, you first need to be okay spiritually. And then of course, when you start talking about your professional life and your purpose, even that God has given you, um, you need to be okay personally as well. And of course, um, I certainly wanted to focus on something that I didn't focus on many years ago, and that is, Uh, to know that what we do every day, even if it is how we earn our living, that it really, really is important to make sure that that coincides with our purpose, because that's how we are able to serve others. And really, in the end, that's what uh, becomes the most important thing.
1: Yeah, and reading up on the book, it's sort of, there's this uh, very succinct way that I think you summarize it, which I, I think is a great jumping off point. You know, the, there's this idea for what appears to be happiness, you know, having success in all these things. But then mm-hmm. when you sort of scratch beneath the surface, what is much more important is what is actually happiness. And, and you're, you're saying that that's the strong faith in God that you have, right?
2: And absolutely it is. And, you know, for so many years, even from the time I was uh, in high school, my goal was you know how do i find a career that will allow me to earn as much money as possible you know that was my young mind and you know you're a little bit naive during those years you don't necessarily listen to adults i had many adults uh, especially my teachers saying you have a gift for writing you have a gift for storytelling but i never paid a whole lot of attention to that and you know moving forward worked in corporate america worked for state government worked for city government never really felt like I was coming full circle. I always felt like there was this void, uh, so to speak. And, and so my mind was just on uh, my everyday living and, and living a good life. Um, but, you know, fast forwarding to today, I realize now that it really can't be about just you, you know, and your own wants and needs that we really have um, an obligation to worry about others. And if God has given us certain gifts and talents and abilities, then he has given those things to us so that we can help people move forward.
1: Right. And uh, I, I know that uh, you talk about some of your own personal uh, flaws and failures. Uh, one of the things that I know that you highlight in the book is sort of the, the challenges of uh, having a divorce earlier in life. And then uh, now you've been married to your soulmate, I believe, 29 years. So uh, obviously, I think that's an interesting parallel to you know, sort of any path you're on, whether it's professionally, spiritually, personally. Uh, talk a little bit about how that factors into the book.
2: Yeah, so it does. So I talk about uh, the idea of meeting your soulmate, finding your soulmate. And so um, I start off the chapter saying, you know, even having gone through divorce, that doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make my former spouse a bad person. It just means that we weren't necessarily meant to be together in that way. And so um, what I learned from that experience was what not to do and and what to expect moving forward. And so I'm just a believer that everything does happen for a reason. I know that's cliche and we hear it all the time, but for everything that we go through, if it ends up being an obstacle, if we deal with trials or tribulation or a certain amount of pain, um, that allows us to become stronger. Um, in that next phase of our lifetime and so that's what happened for me um, the same with my husband he was married before as well but moving forward we were able to come together uh, in a much different way
1: yeah and and I think that uh, obviously you know when there's any sort of uh, pain or stress in your life that you know it, it, it can make it that much more difficult for the the other areas you know when uh, when I was much younger, let's see, I was probably about four. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we I had a, a little brother that passed away. He was about four months old. And that was mm-hmm. obviously, I was far too small to really grasp it. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But my parents were very upset during that time. And they found actually that the church we were going to, you know, they really wanted to talk to the pastor and just sort of he wasn't really there for them. So for a little while, we went to just a completely different uh, kind of church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that so many of these things that, like we were saying before, it it, it is comforting. But, you know, I, I guess, what do you, what would you say to someone who, you know, maybe not even exact that situation, but sometimes maybe the church that you thought was a good fit for you, you're like, this isn't helping me in this moment of need for whatever reason.
2: Yes. And so I do, I think it's okay to, you know, take a step back. You know, take a look at your church as a whole. Take a look at the ministry itself and certainly take a look at your pastor. Pastors are human beings. They're flawed. They make mistakes. They fall short the same as each of us do. But at the same time, I am a believer that when you are a pastor of a church, um, you are the leader, you're leading lots of different people. And if you say that God has called you into this particular ministry, you know, there's just a certain way that I think you should be handling um, your leadership position. And it's a certain way that you should be there for your members and helping them in the things that you say, and certainly in the the things that you move forward with doing. And so uh, my husband and I, we found ourselves in that situation for a different reason than what you and your family went through. But when you realize, okay, you know, I'm not necessarily getting what I believe I need. You know, I want to grow. Uh, in God. And I want to grow. I want to learn more about the word. And I want to um, have a pastor who has a certain amount of integrity and one who cares about his family as well as uh, the church congregation. And so um, seven years ago, my husband began to seek that out. And so we found that in our pastor that we have today. And uh, so, yeah, so I think it's okay to find what it is you need, um, especially in, in certain trying times in your life.
1: Right, uh, one of the other things I know you address in the book is is anxiety and sort of to bring it back to the present day, these are incredibly anxious times i mean i've probably had two panic attacks in my entire life, and one of them was whatever i guess like the fifteenth of March you know it was sort of that first day when you're like, oh, we're all home, the kids aren't going to school, yeah. and I made the mistake of uh you know watching the news before bed, and then of course you know I, I couldn't sleep and I, and then you know, as as irrational as it is, like oh, I'm I'm short of breath, you know, and I'm like I, I I must have this, I must have the coronavirus, and then it just it spirals out of control, and it's it's so hard sometimes to get past that, and I consider myself not to usually be particularly anxious, but it just reminded me of like, you know, this sort of a, a time it's it's happening to everyone. I mean, I can even, my, my son's four and my daughter's two. And now that we're like in the fourth week, you can sort of see they're definitely a little different, you know? I mean, we were yes. able to go outside for walks, but they know things are different. They're not upset, but they just sort of know. And, you know, it'll be little mm-hmm. things like my son asking, hey, when's, because every year in the, the town we live in, there's always a big Easter egg hunt. So he's like, oh, yeah. when are we going to the Easter egg hunt? I'm like, yeah. oh, you know, we're going to do it at our house this year. Uh, and just littler things like, oh, you know, we should go to this restaurant that we usually go to on Fridays." Mm-hmm. So like, well, how about we get it, you know, we'll, we'll have it here at the house. So all this You're dealing with, you know, just the regular day-to-day pressures. Just emotionally, it's so much. Uh, But talk about how you address the issue of anxiety in this book.
2: I do. So I have struggled
1: with it um, since 2014.
2: So you know, six years now, and it sort of, I, I guess, on the one hand, I'll say it sort of came out of nowhere. But on the other hand, I believe I kind of pushed myself into. Uh, that particular situation and started dealing with it because I was so overwhelmed. I was working way too much, way too many hours. Um, I was writing two books a year. I was traveling on national tours for both those books. And then usually I'd already be thinking about or writing that third book, you know, finishing up one, uh, uh, still promoting one, and then out on the road with one. And so it really caught up with me. And I ended up in the emergency room and couldn't breathe when I arrived. Um, My resting heart rate lying back on uh, the gurney was still 120, and my blood pressure was high. And so the doctor, when he came in, he said, you know, I'm testing for two things, either congestive heart failure or you know, pulmonary embolism. He pretty much knew for sure that it had to be one or the other, because they eventually even had to give me oxygen, and I just had all of the symptoms. I presented with all of it. Uh, Long story short, he came back in when all the test results had um, come back in and he said to my husband and I, you know, thankfully you don't have either of them, but I am going to have to ask you, what is it that you're doing to come in here with these vital signs and presenting this way? Because whatever it is, you need to change it. And so that's when I realized it. So, I mean, even today I find myself having to take deep breaths and you know, that anxiety, the feeling of it will come on me. It's just this, overwhelming feeling of nervousness and then I'll start to project and worry about things that I really have no need to worry about and the next thing you know it is kind of veering into panic attack mode and so yeah I am literally having to meditate and be more prayerful. I will wake up in the middle of the night and just feel overwhelmed and I'll feel the anxiety just coming on more and more and I literally just have to start praying I mean literally at that moment and, and then I'll just eventually kind of drop back off to sleep. But um, this situation, this pandemic, um, I was doing much better with it um, before this came about.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of the, you know, there of all the things that we prepare for, you know, I mean, I live in Southern California. We're always prepared for an earthquake and, you know, growing up in in New York state, we're always like, you know, big snowstorms, obviously people, you know there's hurricanes. This isn't really, this is something that like, you know, happens in a movie and you're like, well, that's crazy, you know? And fortunately the, you know, it does seem to be, you know, at least from indications from other parts of the world, you know, it seems like, yeah, it's, it's a rough two, three months. And you still have to be very careful after that. But you, you're starting to see at least places where it can give you a glimmer of hope, you know, yeah. that you're like, I mean, you can, you can still be hopeful for your own life. But just the idea that we can go outside and, you know, walk around and whether it's, yeah. you know, take the kids to the park, be able to go to ch- to church, maybe it's in the way where people are spread out a lot more than they usually sat, you know, right. uh, and, and all of those sort of things. And yeah, but when you start to think about it, and, and that's why I, I really I try not to Watch the news before bed and definitely not first thing in the morning because I'm like, let me let this be the good part of the day. You yes, know, before, and I, yeah, go ahead.
2: Simon, I discovered, I, I mean, to cut you up, but I, I discovered that about a week ago. Um, it was one of the first days that I got up and said, you know, no Good Morning America, no Today Show, no CBS This Morning. And I literally had a great day and just a calm, peaceful day, a happy day. And I got more work done than yeah, I had. Sure. had all this began and that's when I realized so even as much as this morning uh my husband and I when we woke up the first thing he said was he's like oh he's like you know I usually will put the remote on my nightstand yeah where he will just depending on which one of us you know hasn't fallen asleep yet at night and so he's like oh he's like it's almost seven is like let's turn on and I was like no I was like please I said I just can't I cannot start my day um You know, with that, because I realize what it does to me, I would rather start almost an hour in where now they're talking about human interest stories or, you know, you get a chance to see the people who have recovered from the virus and they're heading home The really feel good stories. And that's what I need. So I cannot watch the news, CNN, any of that. I can't watch that as often as I used to.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of like, even reading, you know, headlines on a website can be horrifying in its own way, but then it's at least you're sort of like parceling out what you get. And, you know, yes. it, it, it's, uh, it seems like it's false advertising to call that show Good Morning America right now, because it should just be morning, you know, because yes. it's, it's not particularly a good morning. But I know what you mean too. It's sort of like those shows, after they get the news out of the way, it's a little like, all right, so you're stuck in the house. Here's a recipe for things that you have that you maybe wouldn't exactly. have thought of. and And that stuff can sometimes be calming having two small kids, uh, we never have the news on, on the, the TV just because I, you know, it, we've tried to explain it to them in the way that a four-year-old and two-year-old can understand it, but yes. you don't want the sort of questions that you know might come up, you don't want them to hear anything scary that they don't need, no. so, you know, and it's a lot of being able to, you know, I mean, look, I could watch CNN on my phone if I need to, you know. Yes, so. you know, I want to
2: be aware. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to keep abreast, yeah. but yeah, it, I definitely um, had to come to that understanding that I can't watch this all day long. I yeah. mean, I just had to take a step away from it, and and things are much better for me now that I made that decision.
1: Yeah, my my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, uh, you know, she she was saying that she has it on all day in the background, and I'm like, but but why? You know, we were talking, we had like a, a Zoom family dinner on a Friday night, yes. you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, it was just like, but why are you doing that? You know, like, you're, you're, are you getting new information throughout the whole day? It's like, if, if somebody feels like they need to be plugged in, it's like, you know, in the morning, maybe after lunch, and then maybe before dinner, but never before bed. I always stress that to everyone, you know,
2: yeah. uh,
1: it's just, there, there's nothing good that comes out of you checking it right before bed.
2: No, no, I agree. And yeah. so you know I start out my mornings Um, you know with my I normally pray every way every day anyway in the morning and again at night and so every single day my prayer is for everyone worldwide you know for those who have contracted it you know praying for them to be completely healed you know that they don't lose their lives and for those of us who have not contracted it I'm praying that we don't and so you know that's, that's the most that that I that I focus on that's what I have to focus on
1: Right. No, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, the, uh, obviously the, the media focuses on, you know, the, the numbers are important so that we understand it. But uh, mm-hmm. I like when you see the stories, like I saw a headline, I think yesterday that 300,000 people have recovered from it. Yes, you know? I'm I'm like, so. Let's, let's mm-hmm. put that in all the stories about how many yeah. people have been infected and died. Just make sure like, Oh, but also keep this in mind too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. sir and I was going to say
2: it will and, and the other part so I am happy though that they do yeah. keep it you know in the forefront so we're aware because unfortunately we still have so many people that will yeah. not abide by the shelter in place order i mean they don't believe in it they don't want to be confined they still wanna go to the barbershop. They still wanna get their hair done. You know, They still wanna do things that are not essential. They're, these are things that are just not necessary. And then when you start to hear about uh, people passing away and it's because they would not stay at home, um, yeah. You know those stories kind of need to be out there because maybe it will, you know, bring awareness to people and and get them to understand just how important this is.
1: Right. No, I absolutely and I think the the media has a very important role. But uh, it, it, this is sort of the the other side of how great it is the technology we have. I, I think we're mm-hmm. uh, able to be inundated by. You know not just bad news, but just like horrific, depressing news so yeah. uh, it 's good to to sort of space that out uh, mm-hmm. let 's uh, take it back to the book uh, because uh, I do want to uh, get into a little bit more of this uh, you You say that the book uh, actually go walks the reader through. Uh, a few different ways to do it. One is uh, to become the best spiritual you, and it says in parentheses, seven days per week. So uh, mm-hmm. talk about how that's, you know, not just the one day a week, not just Sunday, but how to sort of focus on on that aspect of it.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I have, um, I talk about um, that chapter, that's number one, and then my second chapter talks about church people as well. And so kind of, you know, visit the whole idea of, you know, realizing that being in church on Sunday that's not the only day that we need to be focused and you know that we need to be focused on our spiritual lives and so we need to do the right thing we need to treat people the way we want to be treated seven days per week you know we need to live our our lives um, in a godly way you know if we say that we are Christians then that needs to be um, throughout every single day, whether we are at home, whether we are at work, whether we're communicating with people online, you know, whatever that might be, that again, we need to become the church, you know, if we aren't already. And and so, you know, just doing the right thing um, and not just on Sunday. And growing up, I've been in church my entire life. Sometimes I would see, you know, one thing on Sunday and then you might see a person on Tuesday or Wednesday and it's like, whoa, you know, you know, I didn't really expect that from you. You know, you're kind of a different person outside of the church. And and so, you know, all of us, I'm sure, have been guilty of that at some point in our lives. And so that's why I talk about, you know, doing the right thing, you know, seven days per week.
1: Right. And uh, obviously, if you do that, that sort of feeds into a couple of the other things, which leads to being the best personal you. And if you're the best personal you, something we were sort of touching on before, that then feeds into the best Professional you, and then, you know, in terms of your relationships, whether it's, you know, uh, romantic or as a parent, you know, any of that. So, talk a little yeah. bit how it, it all sort of works together.
2: Yes. So, you know, if you're working on you, your personal life, and, and I even have a couple of chapters. One is talking about uh, working on the physical you, even, um, you know, being healthy, getting the exercise that we need. You know, sometimes we can become lax with that. And I know that from personal experience. Um, but if you're okay, healthy then you're gonna be a lot better. You'll be able to present yourself better and help people better in your professional life. Um, When I talk about um, the emotional side of ourselves and um, how we can suffer silently, um, sometimes people will be dealing with all kinds of mental and emotional illness and refuse to get the help that they need. Um, Again, I am a person who has very strong faith in God. Um, That is, everything. It means everything to me. But I also believe that God has given um, gifts and the knowledge to professionals, counselors, and psychologists, and psychiatrists. And so, you know, if you're dealing with something, even if it's something, you know, called anxiety, um, if you're dealing with depression, you need to make sure those things are intact as well, once again, in order to do well professionally. So it all ties in together.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I think that uh, it, it it is one of the, you know, some, sometimes these things can be boiled down into, you know, sort of almost uh, trite cliches, but sometimes they're for a reason. It's like, you know, you're not going to love anybody until you can love yourself. And, you yeah. know, this would all be a big part of that. Uh, I wanted to before we uh, wind things down. I wanted to talk a little bit. So you talked about how you've been writing for uh, about 25 years. It sounds like, uh, but you mm-hmm. started out that it was it was on the side because you know you you had uh, gone into the corporate world. Uh, talk about how your first book you actually decided to self publish it. I assume that that was not what your choice was. I, I'm going to guess that that's because you tried to shop it around. So talk a little bit about that process and sort of the satisfaction of actually publishing your own book.
2: Yes, so um, I started writing in 1995 um, and you know sat down. um, It was my first novel. I was still working full-time for city government and I would come home every evening and write. I wrote every weekend holiday, you know, kind of fast forwarding. Seven months later my book was complete and during that time of writing, I had also learned that publishers really want you to have a literary agent um, versus um, you're submitting your manuscript to them directly. They didn't want to receive what they called unsolicited manuscripts. So I compiled a listing of uh, literary agents and sent out query letters. In some cases, I included um, several chapters as well um, so they could get an idea of what I had written. And I always shared that I was uh, a bit naive in that process because I thought, surely, you know, they're all going to be interested in representing me. Uh, But what happened was I received a rejection letter from every single one of them. Um, I started out with a list of 14, um, and that's when the rude awakening happened. And so then, because I couldn't find a literary agent, I thought, well, I don't have anything to lose, so I am going to submit My query letters and the manuscript to editors at the major publishing houses and once again i was rejected and so at that point i was really ready to give up Uh, my mom heard me saying that and she said you know i don't know anything about publishing but we passed around copies of your manuscript uh, to folks here locally and they're saying they kept reading it they didn't want to put it down and she said i think that means something but that was my mom so you know my mom had always you know, told me that I could do anything for the most part. And I didn't know that she would necessarily tell me if the book was awful. And so I heard what she said and I was grateful, but I thought, now I'm giving this up. And I started applying to MBA programs and uh, was accepted to two of them, decided on which one I was going to attend. That's when she knew I really was giving up on the book and so did my husband. And so finally he said to me, you know, you have this background in business, why can't you just start your own company and publish the book yourself? And that's how this whole idea of self-publishing came about. I purchased books on that and read them, um, started my own company in June of 1996. That first 3000 copies of the books uh, came to our house. uh, In September of that year, we had an opening reception uh, and the book ended up doing very well. And so starting this uh, business and creating this marketing plan, and at that time, we had way more independent bookstores um, in the country, and oh, sure. so yeah. I contacted them, and so they really were very, very helpful in that process. Um, there was a one woman, her name is Emma Rogers, and Miss Emma um, owned a, school, a store called uh, Black Images in Dallas, Texas, and she literally contacted other booksellers in the country and said, hey, you know, we need to get behind this book and this author. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, readers uh, were buying the book. And then they were sharing that information with their friends and family members. And so from there, I was able to take those sales numbers back to literary agents. And I found one who offered to represent me. That was in February of 97. So it was just a few months Um, after I first released the book, um, she sold it to a major New York publisher, and and I had been published with New York uh, publishing houses ever since then. First Kensington Publishing, then HarperCollins, and then Hachette Book Group with the Grand Central Publishing imprint. Now fast forwarding to my very 1st nonfiction book, um, my plan was to submit it to my publisher as well, but as I kept writing that and I just kept being prayerful about what I really believed God wanted me to do. Um, I made the decision to go back and utilize my company again, and I self-published this book as well, The Woman God Created You To Be, and it has been the best journey. Um, It ended up being uh, my most fearful journey in the beginning to ultimately becoming my most enjoyable writing experience ever.
1: And uh, yeah, I, I, I liked sort of because I was seeing that in the notes that this was also self-published. So I love that it, it sort of comes full circle to right now. Now, at what point, how many books in did you start to go, okay, I don't need the day job anymore? Were you, were you ever maybe a little hesitant like, yeah, this book did well. But What if they don't like the second, third or fourth one? So did you right. hang on to the day job for a little longer than maybe in hindsight you think you should have?
2: Well, no, I, I definitely would have because I, I tell everybody when it comes to my husband and me, I am not the risk taker in the household <laughs> sure. I believe in that and I believe in myself and I believe in what I'm working on. But the idea of quitting and you know walking away from my full time job, that was never uh, to me a consideration. I, I just never would have thought of, thought to do anything that way. but after we had our opening reception here, um, about five hundred people came out. And it did not hurt that I worked for city government. So I saw the mayor you know, at city hall on most days and um, our legal director, um, I used to work with him because I worked for community development um, and worked on housing and helping first um, time home buyers, low to moderate income home buyers get into their first homes. And so um, our legal director, he would review my contracts. He went on to become one of our state assemblymen. So both of them agreed to attend my opening reception So when I submitted that information in the press release to our local media, that got all of them on board. And, uh, you know, so, you know, talk about not knowing, you know, what the plan is for your life when, you know, here I was working for the city, never knew, you know, the blessing that our mayor at that time and our state assemblyman would uh, become to me. But that night we were at home and my husband, you know, had another big, bright idea. It was his idea for me to start my business and self-publish it. But he said to me, so, you know, when you go back to work this week you're going to have to give your two-week notice and i thought oh my god he's really lost his mind (laughs) this time you know you can't (laughs) be serious and yeah you know i appreciate the support and all of that but you know this is going a bit far and so he said to me i know you know that worries you you're afraid to do it and yes we will only have one income but you know we'll be able to pay our bills we won't have money to just kind of throw away. We won't be able to do things that we don't need to do anymore. Some of the things that we want to do, we'll have to bypass. Um, But if you don't give this 100% of your time, I don't think you're going to be successful with it. And so I did go to work. I went back to work. Uh, We had taken a, the party actually was that Sunday. We had taken a vacation day on Monday and I went back to work on Tuesday and I gave my two week notice. And so I have been a full-time writer since November 1996, and so I've never regretted it, right. uh, and it and was right. I was able to put all of my time toward that, and, and that
1: really, I believe, made the difference. No, absolutely. I, I think that uh, it's great that you were able to, you had the luxury of, you know, another income, so you could focus on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our guest is uh, Kimberly Lawson Roby, and uh, you have the website. I think it, it's very smart. It's just Kim Roby, K-I-M-R-O-B-Y. Yes. Obviously, the the whole name would be like, wait, which is, where's that go? Where's this go? So That's great. And uh, before sort of my last question for you, you have talked a little bit about how you do a lot of these speaking engagements, uh, you know, uh, uh, on a variety of of topics. And I'm just sort of wondering what seem to be—it doesn't have to be the number one—but what are things that seem to come up more often than not? The things that somebody coming out to hear you speak is most interested. Whether you know they they want to tell you you know what their books meant to them, or what are what seem to be the concerns that most and I'm gonna assume predominantly women, but most people in America are bringing to you when you're speaking at these events?
2: Yes, so of course, you know, usually there's going to be not just one person, but several people who are in the audience who are interested in writing. They may have already written a book or they're just wanting to know how do I get it published or if I'm not able to find a publisher that will offer me a book deal, how do I self-publish it? So that topic always comes up, but uh, for the most part as well, questions will come up come up about real life social issues and so because i wrote fiction but i not only wrote fiction i always centered every single book on real life social issues um it was just kind of i think a smooth transition into writing this nonfiction book and and also um, having it coincide with many of the speaking engagements that i've done now um, for many many years but you know, I will have women ask me questions, you know, similar to what you brought up earlier. It's like, so, you know, what was it like to, uh, you know, be in a marriage and get divorced? And, you know, what is it like now? What's different about this particular marriage? Um, you lost your mom. How did you get through that? You know, how are you able to find joy and happiness again and move on without your parent or your spouse, or in some cases, you know, people have sadly lost their children, um, and so all sorts of things will come up Um, you know, friendship, you know, what happens when, you know, women may have been friends for years and then there's this falling out, so to speak. And, you know, maybe, you know, what do I do to get that friendship back or what do I do just to be able to forgive and move on from it? So all sorts of questions come up and pretty much they're about everyday life and they center on things that most of us have either already gone through or we will likely go through in the future.
1: Well, uh, the book again, uh, Kimberly Lawson Roby's book, The Woman God Created You to Be, Finding Success Through Faith, Spiritually, Professionally, Personally and Professionally. Uh, just one day, I'll, you know, I'll keep practicing it <laughs> personally and professionally. I want to put the profession before personally, but see, that's the problem right there. I, yeah. That's why I need to read the book in its entirety, yeah. so that I know I can't get to the professionally if I don't put the personally. First. That's right. Uh, in any case, it's been uh, delightful to talk to you. It's uh, it's always nice to you know have an opportunity like this to meet someone new, and you know get to have a very calming, relaxing, you know hopeful spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we could all use, and I, I hope that uh, people look for the book. As I said, Kim Roby, K I M R O B Y, to find out more about it. Uh, And, you know, look, I I understand people maybe aren't ordering as many, like, physical books to come in packages, but, you know, every book out there you can get on a Kindle or read it on your laptop, so uh, I I hope that uh, people take the time to uh, find a way that they're comfortable reading. But, Kimberla, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I really appreciated the conversation. Oh, thank you, Christian. I so appreciate you having me on. That was a really fun conversation, I think, that uh, I personally got a lot out of it. It was uh, great to talk to her. She was delightful. Uh, Now we move along to another conversation that I also found to be delightful, which as I mentioned at the top of the show is with Megadeth bassist David Ellefson, who has a David Ellefson Youth Music Foundation. We'll talk to him about that and so much more right after this. Welcome back to The Blackcast. Uh, joining me now is musician David Ellison, best known for being part of Meg- Megadeth. Welcome to the show, David.
0: Hey, how are you doing, what's going on?
1: Now, there's so much I wanna to talk to you about. Uh, there's this live event tomorrow that's really interesting, and uh, there was just something that I heard you on with uh, Eddie Trunk maybe about a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. and you just mentioned something in passing that uh, you and your wife spend time somewhere that I used to go uh, all the time as a kid, where I always wished was like one day, I want to have a house. So uh, my great grandfather uh, had built a house in Waretown, New Jersey, which is right next to Barnegat. And I was always like, yeah, this is perfect. This is the beach, but it's like not right there. So uh, how, how exactly do you end up, you know, I know that's not where you are right now, but how do you end up with, the, with that as somebody, you know, it seems like yeah, people know Long Beach Island, but the mainland right across from it right. isn't necessarily you know, somewhere that everybody knows about.
0: Well, you can certainly use our house right now because we're not there, <laughs> and it doesn't look like we're going to be there for a while. It
1: might be a and, long time, yeah. And it's locked
0: down, and it's uh, yeah, it's got it's my wife's, uh, it's her haven, it's her getaway in New Jersey. Now we bought the place a couple years ago uh, right. in the summer, I think 2018. And um, yeah, it is funny. It's a little town that she grew up in, Barnegat, New Jersey. Oh, okay. I think she was born up in Wayne, and then they moved down to uh, Ocean County. And, um, and, yeah, town you know, right where it is. Uh, yeah. It's just a couple blocks north of uh, Barnegat. So, um, you know, we go back there. We, we summer down the shore, if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, you know, my, so my wife's East Coast girl. I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm not okay. a beach guy. So, you know, for me, the beach is optional. For her, it's absolutely <laughs> mandatory. In fact, when we moved here to, to Scottsdale in 1993, um We got here, and Scott still is beautiful. I mean, there's something I mean, yeah. out the window; there's literally not a cloud in the sky. It's just beautiful. And, but she said, "She goes, oh my God, please don't let me die in the desert." You know, and that was 26 <laughs> years ago. So I heard that, and then I remembered it, and I was yeah. kind of like, "Happy wife, happy life," right? So I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. you know, at some point, um, you know, we'll, we'll make some kind of a move. Too.
1: Yeah, no, it was a, it was, it was sort of great because you know the fact that my grandparents owned this house. Uh, yeah. yeah, we didn't have we didn't have a ton of money growing up. My dad would always get two weeks of vacation. We couldn't go away, but sure. we had this house that we would go to. And it's like, yeah. you know, we go out to eat like once out of the two weeks, you right. know. And, the, and it's like we go shopping at the A and P, and it was like eh, it's kind of like normal, but like the beach is right there. So uh, it's it, it's I have so many happy memories of that place. It's literally yeah. every summer. That uh, when you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, but that that was like that was the dream for me to have <laughs> <Yeah>. the house <laughs> down there at the shore. You know, down the shore. No, exactly. Yeah. I,
0: I get it. And again, not being. You know from the east coast sure. i had to learn all this you know down the shore and all this stuff you know but <laughs> but you know it's interesting obviously we're paying attention to it because we have a lot of friends family of course there are my wife's is there and you know ocean county is had i mean i think they have more cases of coronavirus than the entire state of arizona um you know and i i, I feel very blessed that we're here um Uh, We just came home from Europe you know we were doing a Megadeth tour through January and February we got home from Europe we started hearing about it kind of bubbling up about a week or two kind of behind everywhere we were we started in Scandinavia and went down across France Germany the UK we've actually played in Milan Italy Um, and about a week or so after we were out of there we started hearing the reports you know about um, kind of I think up in the north there of Italy where it was starting to, you know, these cases were breaking out. So fortunately, we got home, and everybody in our camp is okay. Um, but I saw uh, my friend Mike Portnoy had posted uh, that his Sons of Apollo tour was being shut down because venues were closing and things were locking down, and and it, and it seemed drastic, you know, at first because you're going, wow, it doesn't seem like there's that big of a problem. But right. you know, yeah. they've done much better with it, obviously, than than we have, you know. And and look, I travel all the time by airplane, of course. And, and, um, you know, if, if you want to get sick anyway, even if you're at your healthiest, when it's yeah. not flu season, just get on an airplane, you know. So, yeah. uh, you know, to me, shutting down air travel, I mean, that, you know, the, a germ can go around the world, you know, theoretically in 24 to 48 hours with the airplane travel. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, it's, it's, I mean, I'm glad we're home. I'm glad we're all safe. And it's a, uh, you know, just an unprecedented time
1: yeah uh, there's a, a few things i wanted to address in there the first is that what you're saying about an airplane is absolutely true um, my wife i think flew this is a couple of years ago she was like seven months pregnant and her doctor was like yes if you if you if you know if it was for work it's like if you need to fly sure you can't touch anything and they just right. sort of went through it and it's sort of like how we're living now you know the purell after anything you know somebody coughs near you you kind of put the hood up and you know it's uh, it's just not something that you're mindful of until you just start to look around it's like yeah they Thanks. clean they clean these planes But it's like the the next group of passengers gets on like less than an hour. So how much do they actually clean them, you know? Yeah, right,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I'm getting all these messages from the airlines now. They're saying how they are cleaning it and how they're taking special care of their food. It's like, well, what were you doing with it before? (laughs) (laughs) So I I like the social distancing. It's like, you know what, I'd be fine not sitting closer than five or six feet from someone on an airplane. I'd be good if we kept that, you know what I mean? Maybe stretch those seats out a little farther, you know? The
1: idea that, you know, look, one day, when movie theaters reopen, that it's only going to be half capacity. and uh, you Perfect. Know, I love like, it. Yeah, let's do that. Let, <laughs> yeah. Let's definitely do that. You know, uh, and the
0: bummer, you know, the bummer, sadly, of course, you know, half of our business is is the concert business. You know, we're obviously we're in the, the record industry, but we're also in the live live entertainment sector. And, you know, boy, it's, you know, that's really suffering because you, know, you think about the whole goal of the concert business, is put as many people in as big of a room as you possibly can. And, you know, now the mandate is, is no more of that, you know, like get everybody out of here. So it's, it's, you know, it's really going to be an interesting year to see how this plays out. And, um, you know, I've got some friends, of course, overseas in China, you know, over in Asia, um, Singapore and whatnot. And, you know, they're, they, you know, I, I, I'll talk to him once a week and I'm just like, so what's the skinny? What's happening over there? Because obviously they are three, four months ahead of what we have here. And, you know, you kind of keep a keep an eye on it. And it's, you know, who knows? I mean, it's look, I know one thing, it it seems like, as long as we do this social distancing and can and keep away physically from each other, it it seems to be the the only real line of defense that we have. And it seems to help. um, And you know, like I say, I'm, I'm glad we live in Arizona. I think, you know, the sun and the UV rays and all this kind of stuff. Fortunately, we're heading into spring and summer, you know, around the world here. And hopefully that'll help. You know, I mean, I'm no doctor. You know, I'm just going by what everybody else is saying. But, um, you know, strange times indeed. Lance. And, you know, the, the what's interesting is I think what we're doing here, and again, you as a journalist and me, and we would kind of operate like this a lot anyway, but, I mean, let's face it, I mean, I didn't even know of Zoom until a month ago. Yeah, you know what I, mean? yeah so, I was talking
1: about that. It's right. like I, I use the word Zoom so many times in a day now.
0: Like uh,
1: about an hour after I get done talking to you, my wife and my wife's a Chinese American. So her and her huge extended family, we're all going to zoom together for dinner. So we're using zoom as a verb, as a noun, you know, oh, I have a zoom downstairs or we have to go zoom. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I knew about Skype. I knew about FaceTime. I, I literally a month ago had never heard of Zoom. Right. And now I used to always say, hey, we'll phone
0: it in or we'll Skype it in. (laughs) Right, exactly. Zoom it in, you know, so, hey, you know, we're working on that with, uh, with records, you know, I mean, obviously we can't, you know, the, the performance thing doesn't really work. We're actually working uh, on a few things over the last couple of weeks with that. And it's 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 difficult, you know, because there is latency and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I'll tell you what, it's it's a creative time right now. And I think, you know, I've been working on, um, you know, a, a new Ellison solo album um, that I was just you know, kind of just doing casually in my spare time we we had a full megadeth year lined up and of course you know we're taking that week by week now too um we were going to be recording at the end of March and we've had to push that down the road now until it's safe for us to be traveling and um you know so again so much for making plans you know what I mean and yeah so a lot of things are changing you know
1: Yeah. And obviously uh, in terms of people that are familiar with the band, obviously, you know, uh, last year was a big setback for Dave Mustaine, the the singer, because he had, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer and uh, you know, you were saying you guys toured earlier in the year. So that gives the impression that, you know, he's, he's doing a lot better. You know, he seems to be well, but obviously the one thing they say at this time is anybody who might be immunocompromised. So I think so recently having to you know deal with cancer treatments i think it's like right. oh yeah he he's not going anywhere for for a while i would imagine
0: yeah and in our case you know where our operation now is based in nashville so we'd all be going there but you know dirk he lives in uh, los angeles which of course is a very much a lockdown state california um kiko is over in uh Helsinki uh Finland now um and you know I don't even think he could get here <laughs> you know um <laughs> so not, it's yeah. you know it's it's interesting I mean we, we had a festival the hell and heaven fest in uh in uh March middle of March that we we're going to go do and literally this was all locking down the governments you know you know presidents lock you know canceling like saying look no more flights from Europe and we had a festival and Kiko was in Finland and, you know, we're just going, Oh my gosh, like this could be disastrous. I mean, you could get stranded any number of places around the world and, and not even able to get home and, um, all kinds of different stuff going on. So yeah, look, it's, it's, you know, it's a different time that we live in. And, and, um, you know, look, as much as we can record and do some things, you know, um, you know in our home studios and that you know i i now more than ever i'm probably thirsting for just live fellowship with people you know to me music is always a you know people in a room there's just an energy there's a there's just a connectivity that happens when people are in a room making music obviously performing it for people um that's uh, while i'm appreciative for any form of of uh collaboration and creativity at this moment you know that is a thing that I just have always felt, and that's and just how I grew up, you know, getting in the room with guys and, and making music together. So, um, and I think you can hear it oftentimes in the final product as well, you know, it's nice when, you know, you it, yeah, there's records, you know, we put them on, and it just, you can just visualize the band in front of you playing, you know, there's a real connectivity about that, and... Um, you know, I think that's always the goal is to make records that that sound like you're a, a real group in a room together.
1: Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, look, I think a lot of times that's not how uh, albums these days are made. But yeah, if you can give the impression that, you know, even if, you know, because sometimes you'll hear somebody explain, it's like, well, I recorded this part and I emailed it to him and then he laid this down. And then last thing, you know, all of a sudden this person wanted to be a guest on it. So then he, you know, and just the idea that all these files are getting emailed emailed around you're like no that's not like you know you you kind of remember sort of like there were like there were videos for like Aerosmith recording Pump or Metallica recording the Black album where they're all in the band and it's just sort of like I always thought like well yeah that's how every album is they're always there and of course everybody's best friends because they spend all that time together you know (laughs) as you get older you start to realize like oh yeah none of that's true
0: (laughs) yeah well it's funny I actually had a flight scheduled I was going to go to London on Monday uh, to go over to Wembley, where, and I was going to meet our guitar player, um, Andy Martingelli, who lives down in uh, uh, Italy, and he and our drummer, Paolo, uh, we were going to go up and, and meet up in the Wembley area, and be working on this next Ellison record, literally next week, you know, wow. and and I just happened to think last week, I thought, you know, I should probably cancel that flight, and I went and looked, and, it, and, the, and the flight home from London had already been canceled, <laughs> and uh, by the airline, it was yeah. done, you know, so, yeah. um but uh, you know, I just I was just thinking about that. Just going, man, you know, so much for those all the plans that we made. So look, yeah. you know, we go through it. Um, you know, we've certainly been very busy, obviously, with our, you know, with everything with the with youth foundation and this this event right. we're doing tomorrow. I mean, I gotta I gotta say, uh, I have not been for a loss of. Uh, you know, of, of just things to do. I mean, my God, it's it's just been unbelievably busy, which is great. And, it, you know, it just reminds me that every time you have your hand in, in sort of the proverbial hand of, of helping other people, um, I, I like to say when you make it a we rather than a me, uh, you know, it, it changes the whole scope of everything. And suddenly there's this connectivity of all of us all over. And, you know, this big webcast we're going to be doing tomorrow. We've been spending this week in the technology together and sound checking it and kind of line checking it and getting it together. And, and, um, you know, to get it all ex- ready to execute tomorrow. And go, yeah, well, yeah, and, and, fun, and you know?
1: let's uh, talk about how the uh, the timing for this is, uh, you know, it, it's, you, you're you starting to see a little bit more of this. You're seeing, you know, it's, it's usually like, you know, one musician with a like an acoustic guitar doing stuff, but you're seeing a lot of these right. live streaming events. You know, some of them are like really big and sponsored by major companies. Others are like, oh yeah, I'll be on my Facebook page tonight. And, and that kind of crosses into, you know, you were saying really what a creative time this is you're getting a lot of like content from comedians who can't go up on the stage anywhere and right. all of a sudden they're using their youtube channel uh, i have two small kids and there's like children's authors that'll do like readings like literally every day yeah. you know so there's there's so much stuff out there so this is a, a great time for something like your event which i love the name of uh, oh say can you stream <laughs> uh and that's tomorrow april 11th it starts at four eastern one pacific And it's a fundraiser for, as you mentioned, uh, the David Ellison Youth Music Foundation. Uh, Mm -hmm. And wanted to kind of talk about the organization and sort of what the event is for. And then we'll talk about the event itself.
0: Sure. Well, we we formed the foundation in 2018. Um, Came around. The the mayor of my little hometown I grew up in, Jackson, Minnesota, he proclamated October 9th as official David Ellison Day, which was very (laughs) kind, very, very heartwarming. It was really, really wonderful, you know. But it was around that that event that I wanted to start. That's where I wanted to start this foundation because I thought, you know, if we if we can use this day as a platform to to something that gives back to the community and and you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a global community. You know, being a, a traveling artist and performer over the years. Um, the the main thing of the foundation was to continue to to. Um, bolster music programs in and out of the public schools uh, some private things as well um, because I'm a product of of the public school system uh, music programs you know when I started playing tenor saxophone in fifth grade and played an orchestra band and marching band and played bass and jazz band and all that stuff I mean that really helped me you know that's why we're having this conversation was from those formative years you know yeah, so sure. Um, so move forward here till you know to March twenty twenty. And my partner Tom Hazard called me up and and he just said he goes, Man, it's like this thing is getting real now and things are locking down, schools are closing. And I think that may have been the day they did sort of a I don't know if it was a national shutdown of schools, but it was it was a big day. And and he said he goes, Man, we should we should really get on the horn and start giving some lessons, Skype or whatever, just do it, you know. And um, so I I started calling my friends, you know, Jimmy DeGrasso and Dirk and Kiko from Megadeth, Nita Strauss, Bumblefoot. I just started hitting everybody. Clint Lowry from 7Dust. I just said, man, would you guys be willing to just, you know, donate uh, an hour or two of your, you know, of your life to just give some free lessons to these kids? Because we wanted these lessons to be free, you know, Um, and that's that is the initiative. Um, not only in this time, but what's looking like is probably gonna be fairly sustainable moving forward now for a while, is to continue to offer music lessons as well as even mentorship. You know, like Chris Kale from Five Figure Death Punch, you know, he's we became you know good buddies these last couple of months and he's a big, very charismatic personality and and um, and he just said, Man, he goes, like, I'd be happy to get on, you know, get on a like a Zoom, Skype, whatever, and you know, just just kind of hang with some with some kids and just give them some hope and keep them, keep them excited about, you know, music and whatever they're into. And, you know, so so it's even that. It isn't just necessarily we're sitting there studying a G chord, you know. It, it's, it, can, be, it can be even just kind of some bigger picture, um, you know, just continuing to give hope to people. And, and as much as, we, you know, as kids, let's face it, you know, I grew up in Minnesota. Snow days were like a godsend, you know. Oh, my God, it's snowing, no school. You know, and that's fine for like a couple of weeks, you know, and then you realize like, wow, everything's changing, you know, and how I go to school changing, and, and everything is a different world. So our hope with our Schools Out initiative is that we um, are keeping kids engaged, um, keeping them into the creative process, keeping them disciplined with their practicing, and also just giving them hope.
1: Yeah, and look, even before this, you heard so much about how much – the issue of music and and just creative arts in school has been kind of the first thing to be cut already you know right. so there was probably already a shortage of this and then now when everything comes back you know it's just like well yeah that's probably something that maybe we don't have room for so I think it's when you have this sort of time on your hands and I mean us collectively not mm-hmm. either of us personally just like yeah there's so many different things to focus on you can focus on big picture stuff you know people donating to something like the Red Cross or whatever but at the same time it's like yeah well these these kids that are home you know all day and yeah like what you were talking talking about, you know, where I grew up in in somewhat rural New York State. A snow day was great. You had two days in a row. It was like, oh my God, this is great. But then eventually it's like, I don't, I I gotta go out and shovel snow all day. I don't want to do this. (laughs) Can we go back to school? You know, and it's, it's, it's sad too, because my my son's only four, but every once in a while, he's just the other day, he was like, hey, when's the big Easter egg hunt going to be, you know, there would be a big one in our town every year. And we're like, well, you know, we're just going to do it at home. And just a lot of the things that it's like the expectation. So I can only imagine for older kids who are still grade school kids just the idea of having something like this it's it's not necessarily something that parents would have thought about you know it certainly not wasn't on the forefront of my mind but then i i heard you talking about it with like i said i heard you on with eddie trunk and it's like oh this is such a great thing to be doing right now because it's important but most of us probably didn't think about it ahead of time
0: well and here's the other thing christian is that you know um it isn't, it, look, obviously the students, of course, and this is why we want the lessons to be free because we don't want them to pay for it. But, you know, a lot of my friends uh, who, who are all going to be on our, our webathon uh, tomorrow, um, to, which, is, which is a fundraiser the say, can you stream event, um, which is a fundraiser because, you know, a lot of our friends are out of work um, with, the, with the touring business. Tours are either canceled or postponed. I just read a report today that, you know, touring could likely be kicked all the way into 2021, you know, but but before, because it isn't a matter that you can go out and put a show on sale. It's the reality is anybody going to come because I mean, everybody's kind of chilled out and kind of freaked out about being together in, in big you know, groups of people. So a lot of my friends who were certainly kind enough to, you know, to step in and, and help give of their time. You know, some of these people do give lessons anyway. They teach when they're off the road. That's part, That's a big part of their income. And it's all shifted. So we, what we found is that the, the early responses we got, I mean, right away, we got like, within the first day or two, we got like something like 200 responses from kids all around the world saying, sign me up, I'll, I'll do the free lessons. And then it grew to 500, and now we're up to almost 1,000. I mean, it's just, it's growing exponentially. And so by doing the, uh, the fundraiser tomorrow, uh, fortunately, our operating costs of our foundation are very low. You know, so we're not uh, an organization where all this money gets gobbled up into paying people a bunch of salaries and crap. Of, of just running a foundation. You know, maybe that might happen later, but for now, it's not. You know, um, fortunately, the building is this right here. You know, <laughs> everybody's yeah. sitting at home, <laughs> right, so right. we can keep our sort of operational expenses pretty almost zero. You know, which is nice, but. Um, so the goal is, is to have this, you know, we want to give some to COVID-19 relief funds, but also, um, to, to be able to pay our instructors, you know, and, and, and have them be on call for us so that, that we can continue to do this. Cause again, I'm just one dude with a bass. I mean, I can only give so many lessons, you know, and we've got a huge (laughs) queue and we're, you know, um, and, and also not just, you know, bass and guitar, but drummers, singers, um, uh, keyboard instrument players and percussionists um, horn players you know we're really expanding it so that we kind of get the full orchestra here you know so that way we've got enough people um, that can that can you know really help supplement if not even replace a school band program um, on a number of levels to just really you know we, we can be the leader of the band so to speak
1: well, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the people who are involved in the uh, O oh Say Can You Stream event, which, uh, as we're discussing, is tomorrow, uh, April 11th, starting at, uh, what is it? It's 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 Pacific. Right. And uh, the, right at the top of the list was uh, somebody that caught my eye. Uh, literally my all-time favorite. The first concert I ever went to in 1990 was Alice Cooper. And I know that he does a lot for music charities you know, in, in the Phoenix area because I know he lives there. Uh, so talk about, I'm just going to assume you guys have probably known each other a long time. Talk about, you know, the, obviously there's the Alice that people know on stage, yeah. but the, the offstage Alice seems to be just, a you know, very giving and also just a great, funny guy, too. Well,
0: here again, I, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation if it weren't for Alice Cooper um, in 1987. He was brave and bold enough to take Megadeth on tour as his opening act on his Constrictor tour. And that was right as we got signed to Capitol Records uh, with our peace salesman but who's buying out. And he took us out on a huge uh, arena tour. He was rebuilding his own career after he had gone through some hardships of his own lifestyle, which he had a nice heart to heart sort of father son talk to us about (laughs) Uh, regarding drugs and alcohol. and, uh, later I would get sober as well. And, you know, so, so Alice has been, um, you know, not only a friend, but a father figure, a mentor to us. And, and it's interesting, you know, just yesterday on the Megadeth socials, we posted out a picture of a monsters of rock, uh, festival. It was in it, the particular one was, it was in Sao Paulo and it was Ozzy Osbourne was the headliner with Alice Cooper Megadeth, um, Faith No More, a bunch of other people. Well, from that show, Alice Cooper and Megadeth, we went on, an, on a full complete tour around South America, and Alice and I were sitting up, you know, in the front of the plane, just, we became friends on that tour, um, like buddies, you know, and he was telling me about his new young son, Dash, um, who now has been signed to my record label, and uh, we were able to help Dash out last year with, push out his, his own band and his record, and, and Alice was telling me about this, this Christian teen center that he wanted to open up. And we were having discussions about faith and family and all kinds of different stuff on, that, on, that, on those flights back in 1995. And so here we are all these years later. And I watched him. He had these fundraisers. He had his golf tournaments um, in April. He would, every December, he would do a big, uh, does a big fundraiser. Uh, with his uh, Christmas pudding concert, um, and gets everybody, you know, everybody from the industry comes out and donates their time for Alice, so he can raise money. And they opened their teen center, and it's like 20 minutes from my house here. So they've had really good success with it, with the Solid Rock Foundation. He and his wife Cheryl um, have really done well, and in a lot of ways are are kind of a model, even for what we're doing with our foundation. Um, and and so to have them on tomorrow. Uh, we really want to help speak to them because Alice um, had to come home off tour um, because of the, the the coronavirus issue, and so he came home to get ahead of it and be safe. And, and their his organization is fine, but he as well has has now struck. You know, is facing some um, you know some of their fundraisers. You know, their their uh, golf tournament in in April. You know, things that were really important to them so hopefully we can help raise some awareness for him and maybe even drive some fundraising efforts over to him um and our partnership with the grammy music uh, education coalition for our foundation has just been incredible i mean the 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 grammys you know megadeth we've been nominated for 12 of them and we finally won one the one sitting back here behind me on my shelf (laughs) um is uh and that's why it means so much to me because it's not like we just wrote a song and won a Grammy. I mean that that's you know 36 years or whatever of you know of a lot of work that went into that, uh, and that's just 36 years of Megadeth plus everything I did before that. So um, you know the Grammys have been have been very gracious and generous to us um, with partnering with us and letting us be part of their coalition and helping spread the word um, and get the word out about our this event as well as the other events that that we've been a part
1: of it. Yeah, no, no, and I think that it's great. I mean, obviously, I think for, for music fans, the, uh, the Grammys has sort of become this TV show where you, you wish that there was a little bit more representation of, of rock involved, but uh, it's great to hear that, uh, you know, sort of behind the scenes, uh, there's some support. And yeah, it's funny, because I, I wasn't even noticing it. I'm like, oh yeah, there is this Grammy right there. <laughs> it's right behind it.
0: <laughs> well, what I've learned with the yeah. Grammys, and again, it, you know, it's funny, once you, you win... You, you really get pulled into the middle of it. And again, people participate or they don't, you know, depending on, on that. But, you know, me and Tom, uh, my partner, we really just really folded ourselves into their graces, you know, and, and they're, you know, there's several pillars of their business. One is obviously the TV show. The other is the Grammy Museum downtown LA. And another one is uh, Music Cares. And um, I remember when I was going through rehab and getting clean back in I got, I finally got sober in March of 1990, um, but when I was going through treatment back in 1988, uh, 88 and 89, I remember um, the music care, music cares was just starting and these people in the music business, and I lived in LA at the time, so I was always around all these people who were, you know, who were part of that, um, you know, the kind of the formation of music cares and, and, and that was this. You know, part of, of of the Grammys, the you know the Recording Academy, and so I'm watching it grow to what it what it is now, um, and now having this Grammy Music Education Coalition that they've started has really just been a, you know, it's it's just a, it's a good time, you know, and it, it sometimes you look back and go, man, why didn't we win that Grammy back when, you know, and now in hindsight it makes sense, you know, the Grammy being won, what was it, 2017, I guess, when we won it, you know, at that moment in time. I was a little older, maybe a little wiser, <laughs> um, but certainly had other things on my plate that are much more I hate to use the word in concert, but certainly you know in concert with what would work with some of these other um, some of these other organizations where we can partner together and, and do some effective change and really be there to help people so in hindsight that, that little boy back there probably showed up at just the right time that it was meant to be in my life.
1: Yeah, and look. Uh, obviously, we'll talk more about the live event, but you, you sort of touched on it. You know, sort of the the moment where you get clean, and I know in your book you were very open about just sort of the the level of uh, addiction that you were dealing with, and you know, my understanding is that at least at this point in your life, you know, uh, faith is a big part of your life. And that sort of brings it back to Alice because, you know, the guy who literally gets his head cut off on stage every night Mm -hmm. is not somebody that you're going to think of as being the devout Christian, even though if you know, like his father was a preacher. So it's like literally his whole life. And, you know, and again, it's like, you know, Megadeth is not, one of those bands, you know, with all the pentagrams and the 666 on the album. But at the same time, it's a genre where you, you can kind of be like, oh, I, I didn't know that there might necessarily be room for faith in heavy metal and hard rock. But as you start, as maybe it's also when people start to get older and have families and things, you see that there's actually, whatever the faith is, there is actually plenty of room in there to sort of be the, you know, Alice is the most drastic example of on stage versus offstage, but really it, it, you know, how it all actually can work together.
0: Well, you know, Alice is a, you know, I've always said Alice is very aware of who he is. You know, he he figuratively can wipe the makeup off when he walks off stage and be a gentleman, you know, and be a father and a family man and a parent. And I I paid attention to that in my own life. You know, I went, okay, I can be on stage and melt faces and Megadeth and thrash and, you know, do all that we do. But when you walk off stage, you know, that guy, that character stays on the stage, you know, and as you walk off the stage, you transition. It's kind of like the Superman, you know, Clark Kent goes into the, you know, I, he goes into the phone booth and then, you know, you come out in your cape and you go take the stage and, you know, rule the world. But, you know, when you come off the stage, you got to take the cape off, you know, and you can't be Superman, you know, 24-7. And, and, and I think, again, you know, Alice has certainly been a wonderful uh, model example of of that, and um, and you know it's 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 been it's been great, and you know look I I grew up you know farm small town kid and everything, and you know that's what we did. I mean look we worked in the farm six days a week, we went to church on Sunday and and rested, and then Monday I was back to work again. You know so I was raised like that. So you know um, you know my parents they they you know I, I'm a, I'm a hopefully a product of good parenting. If there's any shortcomings in my life, they were on me, not my parents, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh,
1: so, okay. So let's talk about, uh, you know, there's definitely some names in here that uh, stand out, you know, because uh, uh, Charlie Bonanti from Anthrax. Uh, and then you also see uh, Daryl McDaniels from DMC, uh, Frank Cannon from Tesla. You know, there's all these names that jump out of Carmine Apiece. You just see all these names on there. So, uh, I mean, we could r- literally run off all the names, uh, but there are a couple that really jump out at me because they don't necessarily fit, like uh, actor Larry Thomas, who's the Soup Nazi from Seinfeld. And I'm like, okay. well, that caught my eye. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's one. I'm sort of like, well, how do you get to know the the No Soup for You Soup Nazi from Seinfeld?
0: Well, you yeah, know, it's funny. In that, you know, Danny Cooksey, Larry Thomas, Adam Green, they're kind of a little segment of our actors, you know, right. um, which, is, which is great. You know, Larry, I met Larry at the Houston Comic-Con in it's got 2014 i believe i had done a, uh, the comic con down there and um and uh and i went over to say hello to him and and like a lot of people when you do these comic cons you know especially the actors you know they've got out their their 8 by 10s their headshots and you realize holy cow this guy's been in a lot of movies a lot of movies and tv shows and various things and all it takes is one you know to make you a household name like like he became and it was funny at the booth he signs uh, he signs uh, soup ladles, right? That, that's his autograph. Or oh, I would say, you know, albums or <laughs> sure. pics or, you know, whatever, or in my book or something. He signs soup ladles. I have a soup ladle over here. Um, and that he signed for, for my family. So, and, and, I, and I know for a period he was living here in, in Arizona. I had actually done another record store event a couple of years ago, and he was there and we got the chance. So we've kind of been around each other a lot. And I, I just love the guy. It's, he's he's, yeah. he's such a sweet dude. Well. And, well the uh
1: the comic-con circuit probably uh answers my question of uh, another name is cer- certainly not a, a household name but uh someone named uh steven costatino who Their credit is played a Gamorrean guard in Return of the Jedi, which they're the big, like, sort of pig face guys that work at Jabba the Hutt's Palace. So I'm going to assume that that's a Comic-Con thing, but it's like, to just, you go down the list, and I'm like, well, that's something that my audience is going to be excited about, somebody who got to be in a Star Wars movie, you know? Right.
0: Well, and, you know, Tom knows a lot of these people, too, and that's why, like, I reached out to, um, you know, Jim Florentine and Craig Gass and Jameson, Don Jameson and Ricky Rackman, because they're kind of my buddies or my heavy metal rock and roll Hosts and comedian guys and Tom reached over to some actor friends of his and, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of collaboration, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I think that's that's a big thing of what Tom and I do is, you know, we bring people together. We try to lift people up. We you know, it's one of the things we did, you know, we do with our record label with the EMP label group of combat records is, you know, we help put records out for friends that, uh, in a very changing, ever changing record business. You know, we're a lot of great artists, but it's like, okay, where do we go with this record? You know, what do we do with this? Who's the best promotion? What's the best avenue? And we found that we became a really great resource for that. So that's, you know, that's me and Tom's thing, man, is, is just bringing people together. I think in a lot of ways, this whole, you know, Say Can You Stream, in a lot of ways, is kind of the mantelpiece of everything that, that Tom and I try to do bringing everyone together and lifting everybody up and look, finding some fellowship, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, bringing, I mean, I got the list here. I don't know, 50, 60 people together. Just hang out and have a barbecue, you know, a virtual barbecue at each other's houses, you know?
1: Well, and that was something you referenced earlier that uh, you know, for this day and age, being able to do an event like this, it all has to be basically like the way we're talking right now, Zoom or Skype or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, the overhead is non existent for a, a charity. In the way it was, like if you if you you know had to rent out a venue and if you were gonna film it and tell that all that would be so expensive. But now people are people are fine to watch the Tonight Show where like, you know, Jimmy Fallon like puts an iPad in front of them and films it. All right. of a sudden, you know, people are just excited to have something new coming into their houses. Which, you know, if, if you think about it, like if something like this happened 10, 20 or more years ago, we wouldn't have this kind of connectivity at all, you know. Well, because
0: let's face it, half of us would be out at an event somewhere, you know, we'd be <laughs> right. out watching but, a new movie, we'd that's be a over point. at yeah. some concert yeah. down the street, we'd be out having dinner with our friends, you know, so yeah, you're right. I mean, in, in a weird way, you know, this is its kind of like the good Lord's just saying, "Hey, hey, time out. Go sit yeah. in the corner. You know, you're all in a timeout right now. Go, yeah. you know, go home. No, you know, and and appreciate the toys I gave you. You know, instead of always wanting more, because I think that's a lot of our. And look, we realize how much we all have, how much we really don't need, and just sort of the abundance that we have. At least I speak for our country, you know. Um, and um, and uh, and at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't have and and I think it's it's a real awareness sometimes to just stop and go holy cow man so many of us are so blessed with so much and we we fail to look around and see the people that are right sometimes down our street right in our backyard um people who really are in need you know and I go to a church here in town once in a while and they were talking about that you know it's great to do these missions overseas and the Lutherans like I grew up with they're real big on that always kind of doing these these mission trips overseas And, and those are important too but you know. There's a lot of need right in our own backyard, you know, and and I, and look, we can't. In my case, I can't be everything to everybody and be everywhere. But the one thing I can do um, is is I'm a musician, and I'm a communicator, and I'm a collaborator, and I'm a guy who likes to bring people together and 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 do things, you know. So look, in my little corner of the earth, this is something that that I can do, and me and Tom together as a partnership, we can do. And just at least bring some people together, bring awareness, hopefully out of what we do tomorrow, there will be even greater collaborations and some things that probably we're not even aware of today will hopefully spin out that will be really, you know, help the kingdom and, and, and just, you know, be beneficial for everybody.
1: Now, uh, part of the event, I know that there'll be some, uh, you know, obviously you're going to have a lot of people who pop in just to, to talk and, uh, you know, do their part in that way, but uh, there's going to be some actual performances. I, now, are you going to perform and like do like a split screen with the other guys in your solo band? How exactly is it going to work? We I know have been that, trying yeah. it.
0: So we, okay. we we've been through several different technology platforms to try this and we have finally settled on one now and we've been trying to do it. And, and, the reality of it is 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 there's a latency that happens that i mean you know when you're playing songs together it, you really have to be on time you know and um, we're actually working on it right now as we speak we're on a call because we want our, our italian friends you know my my solo band um, that we make these records together my olsen records and uh the international touring you know those guys all live over in italy and our mixer is up in uh, london and of course they're all quarantined as well So, um, but to bring them in, um, because the song, one of the songs that we, that we wrote, um, when we were on tour together back in November is a song called Simple Truth that we just put out, uh, this week. And, uh, in honor of our band and our friends in Italy, um, we are donating all the proceeds from that song to the Italian Red Cross COVID-19 Relief Fund. And, um, we just put it up on Bandcamp, the Ellison Bandcamp page today. And um, as well as next week, it'll be up on all the digital platforms. So just know, any of anybody who purchases that, that money is going straight to Italy uh, okay. to help them out. But um, with that said, we wanted to play the song, so we'll we'll know tomorrow at 1 p.m. <laughs> How it <laughs> all turns out. Yeah. Uh, if we have to do the Jimmy Fallon thing and pre-record and have it there, uh, you know, which again, our thing is most of we just want to honor bringing everybody together, and and even if we have to. Um, and, you know, do something like that with a pre recording of the split-screen thing. like Again, like what Jimmy Fallon does, you know, I watch Fallon as well, and it's, it's cool to see what they do. But there are some other people, like Frank Hannon from uh, Tesla. He's going to perform, because, again, one guy in a room with an acoustic guitar singing, yeah. that's easy. That works perfectly fine.
1: Yeah, and I see a lot of the the names on there. Like I don't know if he's gonna perform uh, in that way, but uh, I I interviewed Mark Slaughter once. I saw his name on there, and while we were waiting, the whole time he just kept playing guitar the whole time, like that. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like even if you said, you know, that's all right, Mark, we don't need you to perform. I feel like he'd probably play anyway, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, I told everybody, Nita Strauss, Alex Golnick. I said, look, show up with a guitar. You know, when you turn your yeah. camera on, have a guitar, because who knows? Like we can, why not? You know, it's and and who knows what happens? I mean, again, there could be all kinds of fun collaborations and things going on. And so, and especially when you get in with these, with these comedian guys, I mean, you know, Jameson and Florentine and these guys, I mean, you know, who knows what sort of nonsense yeah. they may come up with, you know?
1: No, it's great. Yeah. Cause it's, so that's two thirds of that metal show. Those guys are both great. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's great to have them. And yeah, you mentioned Ricky Rackman earlier. Uh, and, you know, I guess the easiest sort of go-to to find everything for it is the mm-hmm. Ellison Youth Music Foundation website, You're on Twitter at Ellison David, which I found because when I looked up David Ellison, there's just some regular guy named. So you know that, right? So I went on.
0: You know, it's funny. My Facebook, I was able to get back um, because they they will help that. Actually, some people through EMI, our record label, they were able to help me get my my Facebook back because you know there was a period of time when everybody just grabbed these names and squatted. Yeah, sure. And the Twitter guy, David Ellison, is like some pocket protector dude sitting there, and I (laughs) think he's got like two. He's had the thing for ten years and he's posted twice. So I'm like, all right. And but with Twitter, you can't get your name back. It's weird. And one night I was actually watching the evening news, and there was a, one of our local sports celebrities here in Phoenix, uh, played for the Suns or the Cardinals or something. And I noticed he flipped his name backwards. You know, uh, oh yeah, Barkley Charles or something like that. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. I'll be I'll be Ellison David. Then at least it'll be officially mine.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that you know, that's where they can find everything. And. You know if people are watching this sort of after the fact uh, I did notice on the website there is a there's a button to donate where if for whatever reason they miss all of this excitement uh, but they're still interested in the cause they can just go to that and I'm sorry is it uh, Elfson Youth Music or org I don't know if uh, I either it. one will drive you right.
0: there org Great. is really what it is but we have a com and that'll point to the dot org as well so.
1: well and the fact that I couldn't keep it straight that's exactly why you have to go get both <laughs> because exactly. everybody's used to com exactly. you know sometimes people have something you're like well what is dot tv
0: you know all that. <laughs> and just said everybody knows too yeah you can go that is the official landing page but you can also go so uh, it'll be on my YouTube, uh, Facebook.com slash David Olson, YouTube.com slash David Alson. And also on uh, the Grammys are opening up, I believe their Facebook page and also the, the Twitch account. I think it's uh, the Grammy music ED. I think is what it is. Right. Music. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, look, I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Uh, just sort of uh, one sort of closing thing, sort of what we were talking about in the beginning, you know, I know just from sort of looking at the, at what the plans were, you talked about how Megadeth had these plans like in june you were going to be doing a big arena tour with lamb of god and it's like yeah right now we're talking it's the middle of april it's like oh maybe but it's so hard to predict. Like I rem- And this the whole thing really snuck up on us so much. I mean, you were talking about you were in Europe touring probably like the last couple of weeks where you could actually still do shows. Right. You know, you've heard of other people who unfortunately, you know, uh, caught it over there in, in a few different bands. I, I think I, I don't want to guess. But I feel like a, one of the guys in Testament, maybe you, you heard about some of the guys who caught it. And it's like, yeah, it's almost like you went home like the, that week. If you had been around two weeks longer, who knows? And the idea of sort of getting back to it is it's, it's so unpredictable. I remember when they rescheduled Coachella from April to October, I'm like, October, that's crazy. But now you're like, well, October's crazy. Cause who knows what's going to go on like that. And for yeah. me at the beginning of March, I went to see kiss at Staples center. So I was with 20,000 people. And then like the next week you start to hear about like, you know, all the, all these things and all the NBA players that went in and out of Staples center and they all seem to have caught it. And I'm like, So I had like two weeks where I'm like, oh, I I was at like this huge event and, you know, knock on wood, everything's fine. But you start to think about like, oh, you know, when there's shows, you know, maybe people are comfortable going to things at the club or theater level. Uh, I think it just takes a little time. And I think that people will be comfortable going back at, at some point. But like you're saying, you can't even predict when you would hold the event. But just uh, what what would you think would be some something that, like, even if it's a year from now, well, here's how people can be more comfortable about going to, like, a, a big arena. Well, show. look, I
0: think the thing, you know, it's funny. Bill Gates has been sort of one of the sort of unforeseen spokesmen of this thing, you know. He did that TED Talks in 2015 where he was saying, he goes, look, something like this is coming, and you better get ready, you know. And we are not prepared. And, of course, here it is. And um, it could be argued that we weren't really prepared for something like this, you know. And, um, you know, the the idea that, you know, a vaccine or something, some sort of medicine that you can take to get through it, um, they're, they're experimenting with medicine and hopefully they'll find something, you know, ASAP. A vaccine, it seems to be that could be a year, they're saying you know, before that happens. so I mean again, yeah. those are the kind of things that get public confidence. It's like yeah. you know, I don't know you and me, we got our smallpox shots when we were kids, we never yeah. thought another thing about it, you know what I mean and and it, obviously they get flu shots every year. Um, the only time I got a flu shot, I got really sick with the flu. So I actually don't get them. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. And, and I mean, yeah, people have that reaction. And look, uh, there's people who, you know, maybe occasionally do get a flu shot, don't have a reaction, but just don't get around to it. Ever since I had kids, I always try to get it every year, yeah, you know, so, right. sort of early in the season. But yeah, just because there's going to be a shot for it one day doesn't mean everybody's going to get it. And yeah. yeah, look, I think it's just going to be, you know, look, you go around Asia, a lot of times you see people just wearing masks. And I mean, anybody that's been to, beijing under normal circumstances Mm -hmm. the air is just so thick there i was like oh yeah i can see why everybody and i feel like that's probably going to be you know that's going to be a little bit more commonplace here for a while yeah and look we
0: can look to the you know to the to asia you know to the east if you will and kind of see maybe a bit of a prediction of what's coming our way and i mean i guess if there's any good news about that is it helps us sort of get ahead of it you know but again we're all just it's all speculation. Um, You know, I I, look, they know one thing that just staying away from each other right now is is really the only preventative that we have. Um, And that's, you know, again, the best thing we can do. Well, look again, hopefully by the time the summer comes around, maybe there's some new changes. There's, there's some, some developments that have happened. And um, I think, look, everybody's going to be pretty starved for some sort of social fellowshipping, you know, no man is an Island unto himself, I think is the, is uh the scripture you know what i mean so um it's you know that's you know there's a reason for that but look we got to do what we got to do right yeah of course um, yeah and look so then we we do this
1: yeah right exactly and uh i i think that if you have to be under some kind of quarantine or lockdown Mm -hmm. there's few places that I've been to where I feel like you'd be better suited for it than Scottsdale because it's just this beautiful wide open spaces and that little like downtown Scottsdale. I always love, there's that, that little ice cream shop that I think it's called the sugar bowl. Sugar bowl. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. Because it's like, and I always found it so fun to go around the Phoenix area because when they have spring training for baseball, it's all so close together. Anybody that ever went to Florida for it, it's like, Oh, it's like two, two and a half hours to another stadium. And so I always love that area because even though it's a metropolitan area it's that combination that perfect combination of you were talking about you looked out the window and there's not a cloud in the sky it's just wide open spaces and that seems so comforting right now so it uh, it
0: really is you know and at least to feel like you could be out in the backyard and there's not a lot of people around so you can you know get some uv rays or saying that's supposed to help you know so just and you just even to try to get a little bit exercise you know that's a big thing i mean my family were big into exercise. I have been, you know, since I got sobered up years back, you know what I mean? So just to be able to move your body a little bit too, that just, it just helps, you know, to just kind of feel like, you know, you're, I don't know, productively, you know, engaging your 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 whole senses into stuff, and it's hard. You know, I mean, I've been sitting in this room now for a month. Between you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've done so many webcasts and broadcasts in yeah. this very I feel like maybe you should turn the computer to get a different look. Look at the door maybe or something, you know. But um, yeah. it's as I started changing the records out, you know, it's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, um but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's just, it's kind of this, uh, this age of a new invention, you know, so it's, um uh necessity is the mother of invention but you know but well, I, I appreciate you checking in with me Christian. absolutely supporting event tomorrow
1: perfect uh, perfect uh, way to mention one last time that uh, you know you're going to be inside why not uh, tune in for uh, a few hours uh, tomorrow april 11th 4 p.m eastern one pacific oh say can you stream that's uh, part of the david Elfson youth music foundation uh youth david no the ellison youth music foundation.com uh that's where you can find it and all the other places we mentioned earlier uh so you know I, i think it's a great it's a great thing to be doing and i i love to see all the names of how many people we're happy to help out so it seems like it'll be a great event and uh you know hopefully it's uh the first of uh, many events that uh, you're able to do and not out of necessity because we're all locked up, but because you're able to kind of continue with the cause. So, uh, Thank you so best of luck really with it. it. Well, that was really fun talking to David and uh, I hope that the uh, live event went off without a hitch and uh, the uh, song that he was talking about, simple truth. Uh, we're going to listen to a little of that on our way out. Thanks so much to uh, both David and Kimberla on our next episode. It'll be uh, one of those audio only. It's a bit of a throwback. It'll be myself and my friend Brad Morin. He'll be at home in Melbourne, Australia. We'll talk a little bit about some of the differences and some of the similarities, unfortunately, of how our two countries are dealing with uh, this lockdown. But that's all the time we have for right now. We'll see you next time on The Blackcast. But if you can't win, and if I die waiting, 'cause you can dig your fucking